0: Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a glass of red wine. What do you have, Del? I am drinking an apple
1: martini, and on this week's episode, we're gonna look at the case of Randy Stare and his descent into madness, which resulted in a shocking murderous rampage. As a note, Randy was known as Andrew Blaze Online. We will be using his given name in this episode. So who was Randy Stair? Randy Robert Stair was born on September 17, 1992 in Pennsylvania to Robert and Lorianne Starr. He had one younger brother named Jeremy. In his writings, he described himself as a shy kid and daydreamer who always wanted to be someone cool. He frequently saw himself as a character from a television show. Randy didn't have many friends, but one that he did make had a profound impact on his life. Matthew helped Randy get into video recording, and Randy said, quote, When we would hang out, I could remember begging him to make videos with me. I didn't care what they were about. I just loved to record, end quote. Another friend, James, helped get Randy into YouTube and helped to motivate Randy to make his own content. Throughout his school years, although he would see his friends forming relationships, Randy never dated. Randy started YouTube in 2007 with several channels that were terminated due to copyright strikes. This did not stop Randy from pursuing his dream of being a YouTube star, and on June 9th, 2008, he created Pioneer's Production. The channel started off with vlogs and let's plays, but eventually would focus on sketch comedy. His sketches had recurring characters, including Froggy, Well, and Mr. Horsehead. These were all original productions, and this is when he started calling himself Andrew Blaze. In 2010, while still working on his YouTube career, Randy started working for Weiss Markets. 2013 was a pivotal year in Randy's life. He had a string of tragedies, including the loss of his grandfather and the fatal car crash of two of his friends. He then was in several accidents that resulted in Randy developing an obsession with death. His videos reflected this change and featured darker themes than what were typically present on his channel. Another significant moment was his reintroduction to the cartoon Danny Phantom. He grew an obsession with the character Ember McLean. Randy describes this moment by stating the following quote Ember led me to rediscovering who I was. For those who are unfamiliar with the show and this character, Dante Phantom was a cartoon that ran on Nickelodeon for three seasons. It features the titular character saving his town from ghost attacks after becoming a ghost human hybrid. The character Ember McLean is presented as a villainous musician who gains power when people say her name. Her anti authority stance, along with the hypnotizing guitar strings, are used to attack the different characters in the show.
0: His obsession with Ember McLean led to the creation of Ember's Ghost Squad, the EGS, and having mostly Ember related content across his social media profiles. This included the creation of a YouTube channel in 2014. EGS was a fanfiction based on the character that allowed Randy to channel all of his sinister thoughts in this creation. This was coupled with Randy developing a hatred of people and the real world. His writing showed an increase in homicidal and suicidal thoughts. Ember's ghost squad went from a way to express his anger to what he felt was him. He stated, quote, Everything with EGS just felt so familiar and was far beyond coincidental. It's where I've been sent from, end quote. The characters he had created in addition to Ember included Mackenzie, Rachel, Harmony, Froggy, Sydney, Alex, Celesta, Matilda, and Madison. Randy described, These as, quote, real souls who all lived and died on this planet, end quote. Mackenzie was his romantic interest, and he said she would talk to him and comfort him. Many of the quotes used have been from Randy's writing, which he started to document his thoughts on his life and his desire to attack the others. His writings also described his obsession with the Columbine school shooting and specifically his admiration of the perpetrators, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. During this time, Randy also struggled with gender dysphoria. He did not consider himself transgender, but did wear feminine clothing. He believed his soul was female and that he would be resurrected as a ghost girl when he died. He was opposed to therapy because, quote, he didn't think people would understand him, end quote. Randy began uploading his animated series based on Ember's Ghost Squad. This series was based around Ember and her friends recruiting other teenagers for their group and going on different adventures. On the evening of June 7th, 2017, Randy uploaded a video entitled the quote-unquote Westboro High Massacre. This video depicted a school shooting committed by the EGS characters along with a video that detailed the motive behind the real-life shooting he was about to commit. He also included a coin flip. The flip would decide his fate, according to Randy. Heads was taking his own life at his house, and Tails was murdering his co-workers at the supermarket and himself. He flipped it five times and got three Tails. Randy arrived for his shift at Weis
1: Market at 11 p.m. He went to the back of the store and blocked the emergency exit. He then started work as usual, stocking shelves and cleaning up the store. At 12.10 a.m., he sent out links to files and videos that described his plans via his Twitter account. He then blocked the other exits of the store and locked the automatic door at the entrance. He had concealed two pump-action shotguns and killed three of his co-workers. Victoria Bronk, Brian Hayes, and Terry Lee Sterling. Another employee, Kristen Newell, had not heard the shooting due to using headphones as she worked. CCTV showed Andrew standing behind her and then walking to another aisle. He then shot multiple propane tanks, which fell to explode. During this time, Kristen realized what was happening and escaped the store by removing the display and breaking the glass door. She ran into the bushes and called 911. After firing more shots at random items in the store, Randy went to the deli section and died via a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Jenny, what are your thoughts on this
0: case? I don't remember hearing about this when it was happening, and it really wasn't that long ago. I think it's a very obvious display of mental illness, and I know we're going to talk about this, but creating a fantasy escapist world for yourself and just getting so far drawn into that. Something that really stands out to me is him flipping a coin. And you know, it's as simple as that. I'm either gonna kill myself or I'm gonna kill other people too. That's really upsetting. And it just it feels so arbitrary. I think he did definitely want attention to an extent. And that's I think part of why he committed these murders and I mean, I guess anybody that is posting videos to YouTube wants some type of attention, whether it's for a positive or a negative reason. And I think we really see that with Randy. What are your thoughts?
1: I definitely agree with you. I think when looking at his writings, it just screamed that he really didn't have complete control over what was going on not trying to reduce his culpability as he is absolutely 100% responsible for what was happening, but his writings speak to someone who felt like they had no reason to go on, no reason to even like humanity. And that led to him becoming super obsessed with a fantasy world first with one that was created by someone else in Dante Phantom, and then the one that he created for himself, which featured Ember. I always found it strange that something that was so kind of innocuous in a way, like I remember watching Danty Phantom and it would never dawn on me that this had inspired such a dark and twisted crime spree to happen
0: yeah same here I remember watching it and I think it came on maybe when I was like kind of getting over Nickelodeon but it is really interesting to see what people will latch on to and how far their fantasy and obsession will go with you know just a mundane cartoon the creators definitely did not have this in their minds as they were working on this show it's it's wild
1: yeah and i think that speaks to what creators are looking to get out of the products that they put out there we're getting ready to go into fan fiction but this question always comes up of how is someone interpreting the art that you put out and Does someone bear responsibility for how people interpret the art that they put out? I would lean towards no. You know, people are going to feel how they feel about what you put out, and they're going to be able to form their own stories. But I guess my question for you is, do you think that artists should be careful in how they are presenting their art so that it's not used for nefarious purposes?
0: I hesitate to say yes, because I think like once, if you're putting out something as innocent as Danny Phantom was and is, I mean, it's really out of your control once someone, you know, starts to find some kind of deeper meaning in it when that was not your intention at all. Like we said, it was like a a cartoon about a ghost, sort of ghost boy that like fought crime. I don't really know how too many people could feed into that and relate to it and see themselves in it. So I would say, I mean, like I was saying, that was an innocent show. Maybe some other darker shows, I can see like, uh, maybe you need to like think about that some more. But I would tend to agree with you, Del. I don't really think it's the creator's responsibility.
1: So Randy Stare had developed a fantasy world, which focused on his favorite character within Dante Phantom, Ember McLean. This is one way many people engage with their favorite shows and characters, and it usually does not take such a dark turn. This fantasy world is known as fan fiction, and it is a way for people to enjoy their favorite type of entertainment while infusing their own creativity. Fan fiction is a type of writing in an amateur capacity that is created by fans unauthorized but based on existing works of fiction. It uses copyrighted characters, settings, and other intellectual properties. It's rarely professionally published and typically is not monetized as this may infringe on the original author's copyright depending on the jurisdiction and on legal questions such as whether or not it qualifies as fair use. Fan fiction is often written and published within circles of fans, and therefore would usually not cater to readers who have no knowledge of the original fiction. The term fan fiction has been used in print as early as 1939, In this earliest known citation, it is used in a disparaging way to refer to amateurist science fiction as opposed to pro-fiction. Fan fiction has become more popular and widespread since the advent of the World Wide Web. According to one estimate, fan fiction comprises one-third of all content about books on the web. One of the most popular examples of fan fiction is the Fifty Shades series of books written by E.L. James. The Fifty Shades trilogy was developed as a Twilight fan fiction series. E.L. James turned the fan fiction version into an original piece and published it on her website. The series was turned into a movie, and with the combined sales of the books, the value of the series is over $1 billion.
0: There is ongoing debate about to what extent fanfiction is permitted under contemporary copyright law. Some argue that fan fiction does not fall under fair use as it is derivative work. According to current United States copyright, copyright owners have the exclusive right, quote-unquote, to prepare derivative work based upon their copyrighted work. Fan fiction will not be held liable for copyright infringement if it falls under the fair use defense. Many countries and some U.S. states have laws governing rights of publicity. As a general matter, the right of publicity grants a right to famous persons to control the commercial use of their, quote, name, image, and likeness, end quote. To date, though, no recorded right of publicity suits have been brought regarding non-commercial fan fiction about real persons. This may be in part because most states' right of publicity laws only apply to uses for commercial gain fan writers who argue that their work is legal through the fair use doctrine use specific fair use arguments in the context of fan works such as fan works do not deprive the owner of the source material of income fan works may work as free advertisement and promotion of the original source material fan works are usually non-profit fan works do not copy or attempt to substitute for the original work those who are affected by fanfiction have varying opinions outside of its legality. Most major studios and production companies tolerate fan fiction, and some even encourage it to an extent. Many writers and producers state that they do not read fanfiction, citing a fear of being accused of stealing a fan's ideas, but encourage its creation nonetheless. When Buffy the Vampire Slayer went off air, for instance, creator Joss Whedon encouraged fans to read fanfiction during the show's time slot.
1: While many authors, for example, Neil Gaiman, J.K. Rollin, D.J. McHell, Stephanie Meyer, and Terry Pratchett do not take issue with authors of derivative work, a number of authors do. They may request that fan fiction archival sites remove and ban any pieces of fan fiction based on their original works. To date, No fan fiction archive has failed to comply with an author's request to remove works, and many archives feature a full list of authors whose work cannot be the source of a fan fiction on their site. Some requests are related to the subject matter of the fan fiction. Lawyers on behalf of J.K. Rollins specifically noted that she has, quote, no complaint about innocent fan fiction, written by genuine Harry Potter fans, end quote, and she, quote, is happy for spin-offs to be published online as long as the publications are not sold and is made clear that she was not involved in the stories, end quote. This is under the condition that they do not contain pornography or racism. Anne writes objected to fan fiction based on any of her character's mostly those from her famous interview with the vampire and its sequel, The Vampire Chronicles, or other elements in her books. And she firmly requested that fanfiction.net remove stories featuring her characters. Similar efforts have also been taken by Annette Klaus, Robin Hobb, George R. R. Martin, and Robin McKinley, among others. Many authors do this, they state, in order to protect their copyright and especially to prevent any dilution, saturation, or distortion of the universes and people portrayed
0: in their works.
1: Jenny, what are your thoughts on fan fiction and the legal issues surrounding it?
0: I've honestly never really thought about the legal issues, but it is interesting to hear about. And I, I do understand both sides of the argument. I typically think of fan fiction that's something that's just online, but I guess that really isn't the case anymore. And I do agree with what some of the points that the fan Writers are saying that it's usually nonprofit and that they don't copy or attempt to substitute for the original work. I think that is pretty understood in most fan fiction that I've seen. And I don't think it should really warrant legal action. The whole thing kind of reminds me of I'm sure some people have heard of Disney suing daycares for use of their characters in like a mural wall at the daycare, or Taylor Swift suing Etsy for making fan made merchandise it kind of seems like what's the point really? Like you have enough money already. I do like what JK Rowling said about, you know, she doesn't mind it as long as it's like not containing any pornography or racism and that that people are making it clear like JK Rowling did not write this. But I do also understand where these other authors are coming from by saying it can distort the universes that they've created. I know... I guess this kind of brings in like what's canon and what's not canon and this fan fiction writer did a better job of ending the series than so-and-so did. So I think it's interesting and I would like to see where more of this goes in the future. I know we gave E.L. James and Fifty Shades of Grey as an example. I mean, if you read that, it's not obvious to me that it is inspired by Twilight. So I think, you know, like that's perfectly fine to use that as an inspiration for your story. What about you?
1: I definitely agree with you. I think the thing around the legal issues with fan fiction really have to come down to what the author thinks the wider like audience for their works is going to think about the fan fiction. You know, is it going to be something where they get confused? Is it going to be something where they are comparing the original work and looking down on it because of what they read with the fan fiction. And it might just be kind of like writer's jealousy to have someone who didn't write the original world-building piece of it coming through and being able to receive credit for making it better. But... I think that hopefully people don't get sued. I think that would be a waste of the court's time to deal with a person that is a fan of something, just trying to use that as a jumping off point to be creative. And like we stated before, this is typically not for any profit. This is just something that they're doing on their free time as a hobby to, you know, share with other fans and show how much they love the work that the author did. So while I definitely understand why they wouldn't want any, you know, dilution of their characters, hopefully it doesn't rise to the level of them actively, you know, suing individuals. Jenny, if you were an author, would you encourage or discourage fan fiction of your work?
0: I think I would encourage it. I think it would be exciting to have people really impacted by my work. And if it sparked creativity for them and, you know, helped them find a new passion and maybe even a community of people, I think I would be proud of that. I really liked what we said, Joss Whedon said about when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was done. Like, you know, read some fan fiction, write some fan fiction if you want to feel connected to this work again. And I think that's really cool. What would you do?
1: I would absolutely encourage it. Like you noted, there is a community building aspect of it. And I think that fan fiction is a great way to be able to organically connect to other people that share your passion for a particular thing. You know, like I stated in a previous episode, I'm a wrestling fan and One thing that we wrestling fans do a lot is what's termed fantasy booking. And fan fiction is a similar concept where you're taking something that already exists and you are infusing your own creativity, your own experiences, and what you want to see out of those characters. And as an author, I would definitely want people to do that because especially if it's a series that I'm continuing, people constantly engaging with it beyond the initial reading of the book, they're the ones that are going to make sure that they come back and read the subsequent editions. And, you know, that would absolutely help me and motivate me to continue to put out uh, great work. So I definitely wouldn't have a problem with it. I think I would definitely take like a J.K. Rowling approach where, you know, I wouldn't want anything that is, you know, racism or homophobia or anything like that included in it. But just creating uh, additional worlds and showing the characters in a different stage of their life than the ones that I write for them, I would absolutely enjoy reading that.
0: Randy Stair could be described as having an identity crisis in addition to the multitude of other issues he was suffering through. There are various levels of identity crises, and how people attempt to handle this varies. According to Merriam-Webster, identity crisis is defined as personal, psychosocial conflict, especially in adolescence, that involves confusion about one's social role and often a sense of loss of continuity to one's personality. This term was coined by psychologist Eric Erickson when he described the eight stages of psychosocial development. At each stage, there is a virtue and an existential question connected to a significant relationship from which the person seeks to navigate the psychosocial crisis. Events that disrupt that can cause a significant negative impact on a person's life, including their sense of identity and sense of well-being. As with many psychological theories, there are many moving parts and we will link more information below for those that want to explore this theory in further detail. Identity crises are usually caused by stressors or big changes in a person's life. While an identity crisis is not a diagnosable condition, there are some signs that someone may be experiencing it. A person is questioning who they are. This questioning is causing great personal conflict. There was a big change that affected your sense of self, and a person is searching for more meaning, reason, or passion in their life. Experiencing an identity crisis can lead to a sharp decline in someone's mental health, including depression.
1: Although the stressors related to identity crises are usually considered bad, this is not always the case. Any major life change can cause someone to question their place in this world. Some examples include getting married, getting divorced or separated, moving, experiencing a traumatic event, losing a loved one, losing a job or getting a new one, a new health issue or a change in a chronic condition. Luckily, there are ways to cope with identity crises when they happen. A person can search for joy and meaning. This could be finding a new hobby, volunteering or reconnecting with past friends seeking outside help. This could be from religious groups, social clubs, friends and families, support groups, or getting professional help, and a person trying to limit internal and external judgment. Jenny, what are your thoughts on identity crises and the ways that people can cope with them?
0: I definitely think that most people will have some type of identity crisis in their life, whether it's, you know, something big or something on a smaller scale. I think a lot of this probably has to do with just the societal expectations of people. Like I need to get married by this age. I should be this place in life. I have all of this, but I'm not happy. And I feel like I should be, um, which is something a lot of people can relate to. And I think it's something that As a whole, people are talking about more now, which is really nice to see. I've never really given much thought to how people can cope with this, I guess, outside of like therapy and seeking professional help. But it's interesting because getting involved in a religious group or a social group, meeting new people, changing jobs, I think those are all probably good ways to cope. And I think any reflection you can really do within yourself, especially when you're feeling like you're going through some type of crisis, is really helpful. What do you think?
1: I definitely agree with you. I think that when I originally started looking at this topic, I kind of associated it with like either teenagers or kind of like that stereotypical male going through a midlife crisis and he gets a convertible and he tries to get a new wife and gets hair plugs. I kind of had that, those stereotypes in my mind. But then looking at it, It's just anything that makes you do a major shift or changes how you relate to someone or other people. And I can definitely understand why someone would have identity crisis when you don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know exactly how you're going to fit into things or how people may interpret a change that happened in your life especially if it's one that you have some control over. I do think it's good that people are able to seek outside help and that there's so many different avenues. I think it really just depends on the person Which one works best for you? You know, like if you're not very religious, then going to church probably is not going to help you as much, but maybe going to a support group would. You know, if you're someone that has a large network of friends and family, that might be the best for you. I always think when it comes to strategies for coping with things, giving people a lot of different options helps because people are able to make it fit into who they are, and what has worked for them in the past. I think that when looking at this and Randy's stare, I guess I just wonder like what could have helped him because he was so isolated. And he had his writings, but it definitely seemed like he wasn't as forthcoming with the people in his life. And I wondered that if he was, would they have seen like some warning signs and been able to get him the professional help that he definitely needed?
0: Yeah, it's sad to see him say that he didn't want to talk to a therapist or whoever because he didn't think people would understand him. And that's very valid, but that is a reason to go to therapy. Your therapist isn't going to judge you. They shouldn't judge you, at least, And they are there to help you. I think every, honestly, I think everybody could benefit from therapy at some point in their life. I really recommend it for people. And I mean, I don't think it would have cured him of all his problems, but I think it would have helped him. And like what we're saying, ways to cope. Resiliency is so important in life.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Even if you think everything is going perfectly in your life, sometimes therapy might just be a good way of... Reflecting on that and being able to engage with the third party to really be able to take stock of where you're at and be appreciative for where you are and you know use that as motivation to stay on the right track. I think that people tend to associate therapy with something extremely negative. And there's a lot of stigma around it, but hopefully in the future, that stigma can be removed and more people would be comfortable not only going to therapy, but talking about the benefits that they received from it.
0: I think that's a great way to end it. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about Randy Stair. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with an episode focused on the wrongful convictions of Kennedy Brewer and LaVon Brooks. As always, stay safe.